If you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Getting close to the end here. This great book. Just going to read chapter 16 verses 1 through verse 13. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they, they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and he had been seen by her, they would not believe it. But after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Father, we pray your blessings on the word of God. It is your word. It is holy and it is perfect. And we thank you for it. And we ask that you would build and edify the church through it in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, we have finally made it to sort of the apex or the climax of Mark's book on all the Gospels, really. And it's been an amazing ride. Now, I love Mark because it's so fast, and um, it hasn't seemed that way, I'm sure. As we've went through it verse by verse, it's probably seemed pretty long. But it's a fast book when you read it. And um, Mark is very uh, intent on presenting Christ as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And so he begins not at his birth, but at his ministry. But the whole story, of course, begins with his birth, and it's a great and amazing story. One of the best stories ever written, of course, from the manger scene, and the king born in the manger to the streets of Galilee and the ministry to the courts of Pilate, which we've just been discussing, to Golgotha and the agony of the cross. And just when it seems like it's over, then we get to the resurrection. It's a crazy, beautiful story. And of course, it is the highlight and essential aspect of our Christian faith. And I hope that you believe it. There's been probably no other aspect of Christianity that has been so attacked than the resurrection and the empty tomb. And there's a reason for that. It's very, very essential and important. 
And we're going to look at that this morning rather than necessarily exegete this passage um, all the way through. I want us to just consider the resurrection and especially some of the some of the attacks against it and the answers to it because we often don't talk about this except in the spring every year. We usually just wait. We tell the birth story at Christmas and the resurrection at Easter. So we're here. It's a beautiful thing about preaching through books. You get to these stories and you don't wait till the calendar dictates it. But Josh McDowell, you may be familiar with, you may not be. He wrote book called More Than a Carpenter years ago that uh, greatly impacted me. But he's also just spent over, according to him, 700 hours researching just the resurrection, investigating the historical facts and the biblical uh, proof. And he made this statement, and I thought it was very good for what we're looking at. The resurrection of Jesus is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. A great statement. We know that after the passage we just read, that Jesus continued to appear to many others. Ten different appearances recorded over a 40-day period before he ascended into heaven. But is it believable? And what are some of the theories against it? Maybe you've heard these. I know years ago I've talked about these, and it may ring a bell. Some of you may be familiar with them. There's a lot of theories against the empty tomb of Jesus, but I'm only going to share a few of them because there's more than we'd have time to really talk about. Some of the main ones that people look at, especially what the world would consider evidence against Jesus of Nazareth raising from the dead. One is known as the swoon theory. People suggest that Jesus was never really dead. He just got almost to the point of death. When they took him down, he was just really in a state of almost like being comatose. And once they put him in the tomb for three days, the coolness of the tomb and the aroma of the spices revived him and he got up. Now there's a lot of people that actually believe this. But there's a lot, of course, evidence against it, some logical thinking against it. One, the Romans knew how to kill people. They are the ones that crucified him. And they went to Pilate and said, he is dead. And you remember Pilate was surprised. He's dead so soon? He's dead. They took him down. The Roman soldiers, if you read the other accounts, and I encourage you sometimes to sit down and read all four gospel accounts of the resurrection, and it puts the whole story together for you. But some of the soldiers that were there guarding the tomb, they knew the body was there. And when the occurrence of the angels happened and the, the stone was rolled away, they were horrified. The Bible says they were as dead men. They knew that there was a body in there that was no longer there. They also knew that it would probably cost them their lives if they didn't guard the tomb as they were supposed to. 
This wound theory seems to be a little bit unbelievable, especially uh, historical facts along with the Bible facts. There's another theory that says there was just really never a burial. They never took the body to the tomb, so of course the tomb was empty. It was always empty. And again, there's too much evidence and proof and too much going on that there wasn't a body in the tomb. Would the soldiers have guarded an empty tomb? And if you remember, the chief priest, right after this happened, went, uh, the soldiers went to the chief priest, and the chief priest told them to concoct this story, remember? Just tell them that somebody stole the body. That's why the tomb is empty, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. There's a theory called hallucination theory, where that the appearances of Jesus were just the disciples and the followers of Christ just being so overwhelmed and emotionally distraught over the crucifixion that for days after that, all these hundreds and hundreds of people saw what they believed to be Jesus in some kind of hallucination. So Jesus really wasn't resurrected. They just had hallucinations. And some people will point to Paul's account of his conversion. You remember on the Damascus Road and how he saw this great light and it knocked him down and he was stricken blind. Some people will point to that. So I see Paul even had a hallucination. That's a pretty powerful hallucination to change him the way it did. There's so many others. There's some that even I read about uh, sort of a twin theory. That after Jesus died and the disciples hid away his body, somebody that looked just like him went around town and claiming to be him, and people believed it was him. So he had sort of a body double, stunt double. All these things, really, if you read through them, they sort of border on absurdity. And they just are proof of what the Bible says people will do and they'll deny Jesus in the flesh and they have but I want to consider some facts really just two especially that prove the resurrection to be true I don't think any of you probably are doubting that the resurrection is true I hope you're not but I want you to consider these because you may come across this and reading or something I want you to understand that the world will say there's no proof, but the Bible, of course, is proof enough for God's people. But there's really logical and sensible proof, and there's historical proof. Mostly, the disciples and the church. Those closest to Jesus would have known the truth. Remember, these were not gullible men. They were easily taken in, even by Jesus. If you remember, they had a hard time believing him and the things he taught. And their faith and their belief often wavered. Jesus would condemn them for their lack of faith. But Luke, writing in the book of Acts, chapter 1, said, as he's writing to Theophilus, this Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And Paul, if you remember, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's writing about the resurrection. And he says that Jesus appeared at one time even to 500 people 
many of whom are still alive to this day. Now, that's quite a bold thing to say if you're trying to support a hallucination or something that's not true. There are people out there, that Paul said, that are alive that can testify to what I'm saying to you. So he wasn't saying there's just a few random people out there. You wouldn't know them, so don't try to find them. He said there's 500 people at least at one time, not to mention the others, and they're still alive to this day. You can go find them. I think the disciples and the way they wrote and the apostles, the way they wrote is great proof that this resurrection really happened and they really saw Jesus in his body, resurrected. And certainly they would not have spent the remainder of their lives preaching about a resurrection that never occurred. They wouldn't even believe it to begin with. Then to turn around and preach about it for the rest of their lives, had it not really happened, it would have been absurd. There are other first century extra-biblical accounts such as Josephus who we mention often the Jewish Roman historian who was not a Christian. He even notes the very strong belief of these followers of Christ that they really did see a Jesus that they knew before who was resurrected from the dead. I've mentioned Paul the apostle but you remember he was an enemy of the way. Yet he becomes one of the greatest statesmen of the church and missionary of the, missionaries of the church that we've known apart from Christ. But the disciples accepted him in. Why? Because he said he had seen the Christ. Resurrected. They believed him. How could somebody, how could history explain the sudden rapid growth of Christianity if the crucifixion had been the end. If Jesus had just died and all these things would have come to pass that people claim. What about the cover-up? Just tell them that the body was stolen, the Jews said. Certainly if it had been stolen, the Jews would have found it. They would have spent everything they had to hunt it down and find it to prove, look here, this man didn't raise from the dead. They just stole him. But they never did. Interesting tidbit. There was an engraving found in a marble stone in Rome from this period that people believe a law was written on that came from this stolen body theory. And it says pretty much anyone caught removing unlawfully a dead body will be put to death. So this thing that the Jews reported that the body had been stolen was a big deal because the Romans took it personally. Hey, we kill people and we put them in the ground in the tomb and they stay there. So if you're going to steal them, we're going to kill you over it. It seemed to be a serious thing and no body was ever found. What about Jesus' own claims? When he was asked for a sign that he was the Messiah, remember what he said? I'll give you the sign of Jonah. He was three days in the belly of the well and he came forth. And he often spoke of not only his death but his resurrection. He truly would have been insane to talk about not only dying but being raised from the dead had he not actually raised and people would have found him to be a fool. Maybe familiar with J.P. Moreland. He was a... Uh, 
American philosopher, theologian, Christian apologetic. He was asked once to give five pieces of solid circumstantial evidence to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. Here are the five things he listed. Some of those who were most hostile, one, some of those most hostile toward Jesus became his most ardent supporters after his death. Number two, within five weeks of Jesus' death, more than 10,000 Jews had suddenly altered or abandoned immensely important religious rituals practiced by them and their ancestors. Why abandon these rites that gave you national identity? Something really happened to change 10,000 Jews. Thirdly, the emergence of new rituals, communion and baptism, and these early Jews baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which meant they had elevated Jesus to the full status of God. Something had to happen to make that come about. And of course, the rapid rise of the new church. Within 20 years of Jesus' death, it had spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. And fifthly, he said every one of Jesus' disciples was willing to die for his beliefs. They spent the rest of their lives preaching not only about Jesus' teachings and his death, but also about his resurrection. Even after going without food, after being beaten, after being thrown into prison and dying painful martyr's death, deaths, not a single one of them ever renounced that Jesus Christ was alive from the tomb, from the dead. N.T. Wright, who I don't suggest you read very often, but sometimes he says some things that are um, on base, and especially in regards to this. He said, historically speaking, the tomb previously housing a thoroughly dead Jesus was empty, and that his followers saw and met someone they were convinced was this same Jesus, bodily alive, though a new transformed fashion is without doubt. From the testimonies of the closest followers of Jesus, he says three postulations can be made. Jesus really had been dead. The tomb really was empty, and it was his tomb. They really did meet and talk with a figure who was not only demonstrably the crucified Jesus, but who seemed to be in some ways different. It seems to be quite believable, he says, even just from logic looking at what happened and how the people reacted. He mentions the mistaken tomb. That's another theory I didn't give to you, but that's one of the theories that everybody just went to the wrong tomb. It was empty because they never, that wasn't the one he was in. Which again, uh, if you read the testimonies of these ladies who were brought to the, who, who went to the tomb, they would have known, they knew where they were going. They had followed. They were close, closely watching the, the, the crucifixion and I believe the burial and everything. And that's another point that I didn't mention earlier. In the ancient East, the last thing you would have done to substantiate a claim was to tell it to women. And why I say that is a woman's testimony was considered invalid. Probably one of the reasons that the disciples, we read, it said they didn't believe them. They had to go see it themselves. Yet that's the people, that, those are the humans that God chose 
to re reveal this to first. Women. Now again, if these men were wanting to postulate and make up a story, they wouldn't have went to women and said, now y'all go spread this around because they knew that would be worthless. Nobody's going to believe that. Yet, here we are, 2,000 years later, and we are still preaching the same truth because it was proven to be true. This truly is the most fantastic fact of history. I agree with the brother I quoted earlier. And some of the reasons for this is that we have an answer for death. Looking at the resurrection causes us to think about death. Death is God's remedy for our self-rule, for our sin. The day you eat of it, surely you will die. And we will all die. But what did Jesus say to Mary and Martha in John chapter 11? If you believe in me, even if you die, yet shall you live. Because he lived. And then he asked this question, do you believe this? And I hope that you believe this, because you will die one day. And you need to have this answer in understanding that because Jesus rose, I too will rise. Because the, the tomb was not the end for Jesus, then the tomb or the grave was not the end for me. As Jesus said, it's only the beginning. And I love what he said in John chapter 5. Whoever believes in me has already passed from death into life. You're already given life eternal if you believe in Christ. But we need this answer for death. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, Inasmuch then as the children have taken of flesh and blood, he himself, likewise Christ, shared in that same thing, the flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I love that passage. Because here's the thing, men can try to hide it, they can lie about it, but I believe this truth of the Bible holds and remains for everybody who does not know Christ. They are in and subject to bondage through the fear of death until they know Christ. I see it all the time in what I do for a living. I see that I know I've said this before, but there is a, there is an immense difference between those who die in Christ and those who have no understanding of who God is when they die. It's just a different I can't even describe to you the atmosphere that's different and how sad it is to see somebody die in bondage to the fear of death. Even if they've lived 90 plus years, they still have a fear of death. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Our hope is a living hope because Christ lived beyond the grave. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead has been at work throughout all eternity to bring us to faith in Christ. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, in the heavenly places. That same power is what brings us to faith in Christ. That same power is what awakens us to who Christ is and gives us faith to believe. And that same power will one day raise us from the dead. And it will cause us to live beyond the grave. And this has always been God's plan, by the way. In Acts chapter 2, this Jesus, Luke writes, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God had this plan in place, and it was a plan to destroy sin and the, the stronghold of death and the power of sin and defeat the grave. And we have proof that God's plan was pleasing to him, and it was his plan in the resurrection of Christ, Romans 1 and 4. And it was declared, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it goes on in chapter 4 of Romans. Christ was delivered up before our offenses and raised because of our justification. The resurrection of Christ proved that he was the Messiah of God, he's the Son of God, and he's the Savior of the world. And it also is proof that God the Father accepted his sacrifice. He raised him from the dead. So it's no wonder that that's so closely connected to our salvation. In Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus died. You've got to believe he was raised. That's all of the gospel. You are sinful. But God made a remedy for your sin in his son Christ. And he made him a curse who knew no sin that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. And all of that is seen not only in his life, his perfect obedience, his sinlessness, his death, but also in his resurrection. Also, those who sit around and scoff at us and say, well, you've been saying for all these years that God was going to come back in judgment, but he still hasn't come. The resurrection is proof that he is coming. Acts chapter 17 and 31. Because God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So he is going to come in judgment one day. And the proof is that Christ has been raised. And of course now the resurrection gives us not only hope that we will live for all eternity with God, but gives us a reason to live now. Therefore, Romans 6 and 4, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. That's why a lot of times in baptism, we'll repeat those words, buried with him in death and raised to walk in the newness of life. Because of Romans 6, we have been given new life. The resurrection is our hope to live then and to live now. There's a Christian apologist who said, without the resurrection of the Christian faith, without the resurrection, the Christian faith would not have come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated men. 
Even had they continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher, his crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of him being the Messiah. The cross would have remained the sad and shameful end to his career. The origin of Christianity, therefore, hinges on the belief of the early disciples that God raised Jesus from the dead. Even John Locke, the great British philosopher, said, Jesus being Messiah rises or falls upon the validity of the resurrection. Believe one and you believe both. Deny one and you can believe neither. The Christian faith is essential. The resurrection is essential to the Christian faith. Apart from it, as the apologist said, oh, we can still look to Jesus and say, like many do, well, he was a good teacher. He was a great man. We ought to emulate the way he lived. We ought to love people the way he loved them. Yeah, but because he is still alive and he was raised from the dead, we have no choice but to call him Lord and submit to him, surrender to him, because he is God. And he proved that by being raised from the dead. It's a beautiful story. It is our story. It is our story of our faith. Jesus is alive. I hope you believe that. And if you've never seen it in that lie, I pray that God will give you faith today to believe Jesus is your only hope because he is, he is alive. And if you want to live past death, your only hope is Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for all of your blessings in Christ. What a wonderful thing, just to, just to remember this. Too often we really do take these most impactful, most essential truths of the Christian faith, and we only talk about them once or twice a year. But the resurrection is essential to the gospel. It's central to the gospel. And so today we recognize that our ability to rest and trust in Christ is due not only because he died for our sins and took our place and took the wrath of God the Father, but also because he arose from the dead and he is alive. So we can trust him. We don't serve a God who was, we serve a God who is. And we praise you for that. And I ask that as we take the supper now that you would just bless us with your presence in an awesome and special way. As we remember the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us, but also we remember the body that was raised for our justification. Because we are to do this in remembrance of him until he comes. He's coming back because he is alive. Help us to believe that more and more. In Jesus we pray. Amen.